0: From training to performing, join our big league conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy.
1: Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. This is episode 12, and I'm your host, Eric Cressy. We're really excited for today's show. We've got an awesome guest. Um, but before we get to it, I wanna introduce you to our sponsor, This show is brought to you by VersaClimber. Being time efficient during training is a large part of developing a successful strength conditioning program. So you wanna make sure you choose tools and modalities that effectively stress the body um, for your overall training outcomes. I'm a huge fan of VersaClimber. It's it's my personal favorite option uh, for conditioning. I rank it right up there with sprinting. Um, it's something that really exposes you to a wide range of motion. So it's a large amplitude movement. For our baseball guys, it gets us some scapular upward rotation, gets you some really good hip extension. I just love the fact that it gives you, um, you know, a good conditioning option that doesn't have you sitting on a bike or you know, doing something that, that doesn't expose you to the wide variety of activities we encounter in sports. Um, it's great because the climbing pattern that's contralateral. It's our main human gait motion. It's how we crawl, how we walk. So when we climb in this pattern, it, it reinforces a better moving pattern while working against gravity. Um, building a strong you know, core system while connecting the lower body and the upper body. Um, I love it because you can train just about any energy system that you want. Um, and it's also a great one that's a, in a non-impact environment. Um, on, a, on a personal level, we got a VersaClimber at our Massachusetts facility. Um, and I loved it so much that uh, when we didn't have one at our Florida facility, when I moved back down there for the off season, I went back and I made sure that we ordered one. So um, definitely a game changer for my own training and something that I like to use a lot um, You know, in competitive stuff with my own training partners and also uh, in the stuff that we do with our athletes and for our general population clients who are, who are looking for a good conditioning option. What's awesome is they've set up a great 10% offer for our listeners. If you go to versaclimber.com backslash Cressy, that's V E R S A C L I M B E R.com backslash C R E S S EY, and check out that page. They've got a great 10% offer on on a VersaClimber, um, which can save you up to $500 on some of their models. So it's a really good option. Again, that's VersaClimber.com/backslash Cressy. Check out my single favorite, um, you know, conditioning option that I use above all other ones. With that said, today's guest is an outfielder for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He was raised in Connecticut and went on to attend Notre Dame. He was drafted in the first round of the 2009 Major League Baseball draft by the Diamondbacks Um, and made his debut in 2012. In 2015, he was a Major League Baseball All-Star and also won a Gold Glove. Just this past offseason, he signed a four-year contract with the Dodgers. Um, He's also been a, a good friend for several years and I'm excited to introduce AJ Pollock. All right, welcome to the show, AJ. Hey, what's going on? I'm happy to have you, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. We've we've seen your uh, your work ethic in person and from afar, and um, it's going to be cool for everybody else to to pick up some insights from you on a, on a wide variety of aspects of the game. So, I want to start with one that um, was actually something we covered in a in a podcast uh, a little bit earlier with Joe Panic, uh, who's a, a northeast guy as well. You were born and raised in Connecticut, um, and wound up going on to Notre Dame. So, give me a little feel for your your youth athletic experience? Like, were you like the, the little league phenom or were you, a like a typical bloomer, a late bloomer? When did, when things really kind of materialize
0: for you? Um, you know, I was, I was always a good player. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I got overlooked a lot because I was, I was tiny. I was the smallest guy on my team. Um, really up until about sophomore, junior year in high school. And I think, uh, I think I was playing varsity basketball at five foot two, like 115 pounds. So like I was, I was little. Um, so it really was a, um, I think it, it was an advantage for me a little bit because I, you know, I, I learned how to bun. I learned how to put the ball in play in basketball. I learned how to be scrappy and kind of do the small things. And, um, you know, and then I'm a junior and I'm, you know, now I'm ten, um, bigger can do a lot more things on the field. And, and, uh, it just kind of naturally just developed from there, I think. Absolutely. And you. so you kind of hinted at the next question. You were 3 multi-sport athlete. What were your sports? Yeah, I played uh, soccer. I played my freshman year. Um, and then I played basketball
1: and baseball. Nice. Give me a little feel for what you think those contributed. Because obviously we have a lot of parents, players, uh, and coaches to some degree who are on this call who – Effectively think that you know they need to specialize early. Um, you know where where was your head out on that? And obviously you taper it off a little bit. But speak to a little bit of what being a multi sport
0: athlete you know did for you over the course of time and how it made you what you are today. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I talked to a lot of guys that have you know played multiple sports and then are in the big leagues right now. And I haven't really heard one person say I think you should specialize in just baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, you just you know from an athletic standpoint, growing up you get a lot of you know a lot of ways to develop, and and if you're doing that on the f- baseball field, um, you know let's not be let's be real here. Baseball, uh, it's pretty. You know you run a certain way around the bases. Uh, you know you're you're swinging a certain way. You're, you know, you could potentially not do anything athletic for a couple games if you're an outfielder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know if you're hitting homers, you're trotting around the bases. So I just think it's it's good for for, um, you know, an athlete to to be uh just well-rounded you know basketball did it for me you know having to d up someone uh mm-hmm. you know other athletes out there um and i would definitely from a mental standpoint too you got a lot of kids getting burned out uh, really early you know and something that should be a lot of fun um you're going to play a lot of baseball if you're good um, mm-hmm. down the line so i think in the beginning when you're younger um just enjoy playing different sports and and um just take some pressure off these kids for sure not to just hammer home one sport mm-hmm. and then so you know you
1: mentioned that you you grew eight inches between sophomore and, and junior of high school is is that when kind of the recruiting uh world kind of took off for you or was it a little bit later than that
0: yeah it, it definitely was i think i wasn't really taken that seriously until uh until like really late in the process you know junior year most guys are kind of talking to schools. that's when i really was kind of seen by a few teams um and it wasn't like a ton either. It was really between UConn, uh, University of Vermont, which, uh, I mean, they don't even have a baseball team anymore. Yeah. Um, that was probably a good decision, uh, not, not going to the place to get rid of their program. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I made a good one there. Um, <laughs> and then the Naval Academy, I was kind of, t- sort of talking to me. And then mm. Notre Dame came on last minute. I mean, it was, I think it was a week before the signing period and they were interested because one of their players fell through and, um, and they said they have we haven't seen you play, but we had a couple guys that we like, um, that we respect kind of recommend you. And then they had me go out, they wanted me to go play in a couple in a tournament so they can watch me play. So I got I was supposed to go to Florida and there ended up being a hurricane in Florida, so I tried to figure out where to go and hooked on with the team in Arizona. I went out and did a showcase there and and that was it. That's awesome. You know,
1: you know, it's kinda interesting because I'm I'm literally stalking you on your Wikipedia page. So we just basically said there's there's four Division I programs, one of which is you know 10 minutes down the street at UConn for you, your yep. junior year, and then your senior year. It says you were named Gatorade Player of the Year in Connecticut, receiving the most votes for a Connecticut player since 1974. Um, so you weren't just like the best player in the state. You were the best player in the state by a landslide. It was it was somewhat generational. So is this just a testament to, hey, you made really, really big progress between junior and senior year? Is it just that you were the somewhat of the same player and people weren't identifying it. They didn't know how to scout you because you were not getting enough at bats in the Northeast or what, what was the the difference between being somewhat unknown, you know, as a junior and then being like a national level talent the following year?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I guess I don't fully know. I mean, I could kind of tell you what I suspect, but Mm -hmm. um, I was small. Like I was saying, I was tiny and I was always a good player. So I don't think it was so much, um, you know, I all of a sudden turned it on. I think it was a little bit of the recognition, you know, when you see a little, a little guy out there and he's always, you know, he's getting on base, he's scrappy, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I kind of don't blame him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, was, I was just a little runt out there. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I started getting a little more recognition. Um, they started doing some, I think my, my velocity in the outfield or from, you know, throwing the ball spiked pretty, pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just, just getting stronger, bigger and stronger, really just kind of opened some eyes and it made it seem like, okay, his, his performance isn't a fluke. Um, but you know what, it wasn't, I I didn't have that many schools like catching on, you know, Mm -hmm. my, my number one school I wanted to go to was BC. Both my parents went there and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I was kind of quasi stalking them and, and they, they want to know part of me. So it's not like I, uh, you know, everyone caught on my junior year. It was just, I had a really good year. Um, and the people that have seen me every single day, I think the more you saw me, the more you kind of thought I could play the game. And, Absolutely. um, if you kind of saw me for one game, I don't think you'd think too much of it, but if you saw me for a week straight, you'd probably be a little more impressed. Absolutely. Now, were you a guy that, uh, I know you played some
1: third base once you got to college, did you play uh, third base while you were still in high school or were you just strictly an
0: outfielder? I was a shortstop. I there, was a yep. shortstop in high school. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, UConn, I think when I was talking to them, they were really in a, into me. Uh, mm-hmm. They loved how I played shortstop. And mm-hmm. they said, well, I, don't, I don't know if you can hit, but we love the way you play shortstop. And, um, you know, Nick Ahmed, actually, a teammate yeah, of say. mine, was yeah. He, he, he's probably the best shortstop I've ever seen. But he was, I think, a year or two after me. He would have yep. been there at the same time. If I went there, I probably would have maybe started at short and then holy try to fend him off. Um, yeah, that would have that would so been an out, outfield with George Springer, you know,
1: John Andreoli, three guys yeah. that all got it to the big leagues. That would have been a pretty Gosh, interesting and
0: then, U- UConn dynamic. They had
1: Mike, Mike, you yeah. know, and they, ha- they just had some. They had players. Barnes, I, I, Barnes oh, and Oberg yeah. too. Yeah, we, actually Oberg was on the podcast already. and We talked about it. It was, you know, it was an, a narrow miss. That was a really impressive team.
0: Oh, so, man, that was, it, it was uh,
1: Awesome. So, um, so, so here's, here's an interesting question. So did you ever feel like it was a disadvantage to be a Northeast player? Cause we hear so many guys like, you know, I've, I've, also have been involved with a lot of high school drafts from the Northeast and very rarely do we have a position player drafted. You can count on, you know, one hand, the number of kids from Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, who have gone to pro ball in the last four or five years as shortstops or outfielders, um, you know, more often than not, they get arms up here cause they're fresh and, you know, 95 is 95, whether you're in Arizona or you're whether you're in Massachusetts. So hitters are obviously far tougher to evaluate because there's a, a shorter season, not enough at-bats, and there's not enough at-bats against really quality arms. Um, did you feel like that was a scenario for you? Like, did you just, were, was high school pitching just not good enough for scouts to be able to evaluate you? Um, or did you just see it as a, you know, it didn't matter because you were a multi-sport athlete and you were just developing in different ways?
0: Um, it's a great question. Honestly, I think, um, I played a lot of, you know, it depends on what you play in the summer, you know, high school for, for me was, I mean, you could run into a really, really good pitcher one day, um, you know, a a draftable pitcher and then, you know, you could face 81 miles an hour, you know, 82 or whatever the next day. So I think high school is a little hit or miss. Um, Mm -hmm. but as far as, uh, the summer, I mean, I played some really good players. There's a lot of good talent in the Northeast just in, if you're going to travel around. Um, and um, so in that regard, yeah. I know I talked to, um, talk to a lot of the GMs, especially when, you know, when I was in Arizona. A lot of those GMs came from the Northeast mm-hmm. uh, with Boston, and they love scouting the Northeast because they think it's just so many guys that are just overlooked. You know, you got yeah. a guy that's throwing, like you said, 95-95. But if a guy's throwing 90 in February – you know, or whatever you start, mm-hmm. whatever you start your season in the Northeast and it's 38 degrees with snow on the ground yep. might be a little different than the guy that's been thrown for a long time down South, you know, just a little bit more. Um, there's just, I think there's some hidden gems up there for sure. And I guess it could be a little frustrating if you're, you're trying to get drafted and you're yeah. just pushing so hard to get drafted. But if your end goal is to make it to the big leagues, I, I don't think there's a disadvantage at all. I think it's just, uh, Something you deal with it makes you tougher, and um, a lot of the Northeast players play with that chip and that swagger um, yeah. because of stuff like that, and I think it kind of works to their advantage.
1: Yeah, everyone knows that up in the Northeast we spend the first two two weeks of the high school season like shoveling off the snow on the field, so it's <laughs> no it's bound to build some character. All right, so tr- transitioning as you as you go to college, something that was interesting: you were a freshman All American, you hit three seventy two as a freshman, sophomore you hit three fifty two, led the team in. Hitting a stolen bases, first team all big east. Um, you played in the summer in the in the Cape Cod summer league. You hit 377, we're MVP of the league. Junior, you hit 365 with a 443 on base percentage. You didn't have a single error and 159 chances. Uh, you know, so here's my question. How does a guy from a small town in Connecticut go right into effectively dominating, you know, Big East, you know, high-level pitching right away? And then also going to the Cape and dominating with a wood bat against the best arms in the country. What allowed you to have success regardless of what level you jumped through?
0: Um, You know, I think I came in there – I wasn't the the big recruit. I wasn't, um, you know, the guy everyone was talking about. But I just kind of just stayed present. You know, I didn't think about – Some of these guys come in and they're already thinking about, you know, pro ball and everything. And for me, it was, um, you know, I just I was so trying to to win the starting job at Notre Dame, you know. And then once I did that, it was like, okay, like I want to be, you know, I want to be all Big East. I want to I want to. And then it was I go to the Cape and everyone's like, oh, the Cape, that's where all the best players like you got to make sure that you're, you know, you're okay with not, you know, not hitting as high as you're used to because the pitching's so good and it just it was just kind of a little process I never really got too far ahead of myself and um you know I think the cape was when I realized okay this might be a that was the first time I realized this this actually might be a profession that I can kind of pursue um and um that kind of swung me into being talked about in, in the first round and I think if I didn't have the cape I probably would have been I don't know, just guessing here fifth to whatever, twenty. I don't know. Yeah. So And so you went you went in the first
1: round in oh nine and, and what's interesting too is you you know you made your debut in twelve. And whenever I see like, you know, three years or less to the big leagues, even as a you know, like a college position player, you you had an injury year in there. That was the year you fractured your elbow for the first time. I think it was that was that 2010? Yes. So yep. you've actually effectively went to the big leagues with about a year and a half in the minor leagues. What do you think it was that, you know, obviously just like Going high school to college, college to Cape League, and then college on to pro ball. There was a, it seems like there was a short learning curve. Um, was it the same kind of thing, just not getting out of, ahead of yourself and thinking you need to do too much? Or what do you think allowed you to, to progress
0: quickly through that organization? I think exactly. Yeah, it was the same kind of mentality. It was just not to get too far ahead of yourself. I wasn't thinking about the big leagues my first year because um, you know you could hit a thousand, you're not going to get called up to the big leagues your first year unless you're um, you know there's only a small group of guys that do that but um yeah I just you know I got hurt that first year and for me I just kept thinking about my season's going to be the fall league I want to push for the fall league and and I just kept pushing and pushing for that and I was hoping that they were semi there and they did so that to me ended up being my season and um you know I didn't play nearly as many games as most of these guys but mm-hmm. um I felt like I had the full year and I felt like I made that that progress. Um, so that I can kind of take the next step and go to double A. Cause I think that's the thing too. I didn't really want to, I didn't want to fall behind in my progression. I didn't want them to have to repeat a certain place. And, um, I knew if I kind of showed well in that fall league, that they would, they would have to think about kind of progressing with all the other guys in my class. Absolutely. So let's it, obviously it's
1: been, you know, you made a, uh, you're drafted in 09 and here we are in 2019. The game's obviously changed a ton since you were first drafted. Um, How have you changed as a player in terms of the information you take in, how you approach everything from your your swing to your preparation since you debuted? I know it's a a really broad question, but I'm curious how different philosophies you've been exposed to have have changed your way of approaching things.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's interesting, and I I could probably go on with a whole different things that have changed, but, yeah, you're right. The data has changed, and I think as a player, especially as an outfielder where it's very hard to, like, it's very hard to understand what is valued out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess just being open and receptive to data, Mm -hmm. um, that's been a huge thing for me. Kind of knowing what is, is, is kind of the standard, what's the gold standard out there? Mm -hmm. What are you striving towards? Um, And now we have, like you said, we have data to back this up. We have data to show, um, you know, if, if, it, it it is a it is a strange thing. And a couple of years ago, for sure, like people were very against the data. It was, mm-hmm. hey, this is the data team. This is not a data team. And now it's everyone. It uses it to some extent. So um, to be able to use that, but also keep your 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 natural instincts out there, um, yeah. is a pretty big thing.
1: Absolutely. You know, what advice would you give to up-and-coming players, right? So guys get drafted and have never been exposed to this. Or even, like, you know, and certainly we see it in, in the private sector is, you know, you have guys that, you know, have never seen a heat map that are in a major league organization. It's like shocking to me. And then, you know, you've got some organizations like the Dodgers, the Braves, the twins who have been exposed to these and educated about what they mean and things like that. You know, so what advice do you give to guys that are getting into pro ball who are going immediately going to get inundated with, you know, a lot of this information that they haven't previously had. How do you, how do you stay, you know, how, how do you stay with what's made you successful while at the same time
0: being open-minded? Well, I think just, it you, you see certain guys that really are resistant to data, mm-hmm. um, and I think, like the Dodgers, for instance, like nobody there freaks out over any kind of data. It's mm-hmm. just they just know this is part of it, and it, it's literally not an issue at all. You could throw anything at them, and they're like, okay, yeah, this Definitely. is this is what we do. Whereas the team I came from. Um, a lot more data driven now but in the beginning it was like people were freaking out don't oh we we did way too much like you overwhelmed us and um, I think when you kind of get in them to the mindset that um, you know the best players in the game are going to be able to handle more you know Mm -hmm. they're going to be able to take this data um, and use it positively you know the best players the smartest players know what to do with it Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's like okay well you know, I don't really think this is this part is that important, but this might be. But um, not being resistant to it. You know, it should take you two, three years to finally say, oh, okay, you know what, I think you're right. You know, actually having um, just curiosity to what kind of stuff is going on in the game and, and the data. There's a lot of smart people behind this, and maybe – if you don't like it maybe asking the right questions instead of just being super super against it cuz it's not it's not going away for sure yeah,
1: no doubt how how has it changed the way that you in particular play i mean is it with respected defensive shifts is it outfield positioning is it you know are are you a guy that's going into you know the clubhouse and watching at bats after you finish in game like where do you use it the most
0: well hitting for sure and a lot of times it's it's kind of like what is the pitcher's fastball doing mm-hmm. um is kind of the main thing and you know sometimes you have these guys that are really funky and it takes you three four five uh at bats to even understand oh okay this is i need to get on top of this because it yep. kind of his arm slot makes it look like you know it has that kind of rise effect more than the average yep. i just think it it makes it so instead of taking a long period of time to figure out what the arm what the uh you know the fastball's doing or or even you know actually even off speed you know hey this is a big sweeper more sweepy than than what the average is you know or Mo has more um mm-hmm. yeah it just it's just something that I think it just kind of breaks down the um how long it takes shortens the learning uh, loop. To, yeah yeah totally you know and then you need that and you, especially when you start playing um, you know in the World Series you're playing a team that you really haven't played that much sure. um you're going to need to be able to to make that adjustment quicker and And this data, and sometimes the data, you know, doesn't feel, um, right always, but most of the time it's pretty accurate. You know, a lot of times you're like, yeah, you know, that's what I feel up there. I definitely, um, you just kind of have to have the blend there. You got to be able to, like I communicate with our, our hitting coach who's super good at explaining the data and what Mm -hmm. certain stuff is doing and Mm -hmm. it's conversation. Hey, this is exactly what I felt. Or, oh, honestly, I didn't feel like it was that dramatic. Um, But it's pretty. It's pretty cool. Um, it's a pretty cool. Uh, I don't know what, what other teams are doing right now, but what we have going on with the with the Dodgers is pretty amazing. That's awesome.
1: So uh, with respect to hitting, um, you know, I know you're a you're a big time student of the game. Like you ask, you know, just even in our interactions, you ask a lot of really good questions. You know, you, you're a smart guy. You went to Notre Dame. And I th- you studied finance, right? Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame. That's yeah, my cover, man. There you go. So uh, Notre Dame education, Notre Dame green You know, whatever it is. But um, so how how has the swing changed over years? Because I know you've you know you've been exposed to Bobby Tewksbury's work. Obviously, you've had interactions in multiple organizations. You've you've dealt with a ton of different players. You know, as teammates. Um, you know, what's changed with your swing over the course of time? What's been intentional? What's been unintentional? What what have you what have you looked to do since two thousand
0: nine? Well, it's been yeah, it's been kind of a roller coaster. You know, I think. Um, yeah sure there's a lot of people out there that get you thinking outside the box Mm -hmm. Um, and I think in 2012 2013 I definitely started thinking a little more outside the box Um, wasn't so much just just uh, straight to the ball and just short or what it was it was definitely more observing um, you know what the guys in the game are actually doing Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, yeah and then it's kind of it's it's tweaks it's small tweaks every year to kind of knowing your weaknesses, knowing where your holes are and looking at your swing and discovering why, because there's, you know, when you look at certain back paths, you can really tell, okay, this guy's going to handle this pitch really well, or he's, he's not going to handle that pitch. And, um, and so when you start digging into it and you start looking at the, the back path that you have, um, things should start to make more sense. And then you just got to determine, Hey, I think, you know, are you okay with having that hole and just being able to like mask it because I'm not going to swing at this pitch or do you want to try to iron it out? And, um, and that's kind of like just the, the constant, the constant little, uh, little tweaks you make in, in the game. I think right now for me, absolutely. Uh, and, and
1: to that, and what's, what's a typical like batting practice routine look like for you on a, a game day? Like, you know, what are you, what are you looking to accomplish when you go to BP?
0: Um, well, the day starts in the cage for me. Um, yep. we actually have, uh, some VR stuff too. So actually I'll go in there, uh, watch some, some virtual reality on, on certain guys we're facing. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, then I'll go into the cage, work with, uh, our hitting coach there. And, and usually it's the cage for me is the mechanics part of the day. You know, I can, I can work on anything I want. Um, you know, there's a bunch of drills that if I'm feeling a certain way, uh, you know, I'm going to do this drill or Hey, I'm definitely getting around the ball or I'm kind of spinning too much. I'm going to, I'm going to do this drill. And, um, so I have a couple stuff in my arsenal that depending on what I'm feeling is what I'll do. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, once I get to batting practice, I kind of try to tune that, that mechanical part out and I definitely get a little more, um, just really locking in on the ball. I'll try to really focus on that inside part of the ball and, um, just seeing it the whole way. I'll start, you know, I was just start off, uh, kind of easier hitting the ball the opposite field trying mm-hmm. to get easy seeing the ball you know kind of get some as easy pop as i can mm-hmm. um then i'll start working more middle of the field uh like to try to hit the ball uh just kind of messing with you know how high or how low i'm hitting it um i like to try to be able to to manipulate the ball any way i want to uh, mm-hmm. i think i was reading or i saw a thing with joey Votto saying you should be able to do yeah, you've got to hit a ground ball to second base and then hit a fly ball to right line drive to left. Like you should be able to do this all the time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of times I'll kind of do that type of stuff. And, um, you know, and then the last round or two, I'll, uh, just kind of let it fly in the middle of the field
1: somewhere. Absolutely. Now, what about, uh, like in the off season, like when do you start hitting and how is your progression work as you, as you go towards spring training?
0: I have a, I just got a batting cage uh, a couple of years ago. It's the greatest thing I've ever done. Um, <laughs> You know, you don't have that panic. Like, yep. oh, I got to get going and you got to wait for – you got to call someone to flip to you. Or yep. try, I literally have uh, whenever I want to um, just go in there. But usually I'll take mm-hmm. – m- more mentally um, than mm-hmm. anything. You know, I mm-hmm. think you have such a long season, so mentally just getting away from it for, uh, you know, for a uh, – I don't know, maybe a month. And mm-hmm. then I'll kind of casually go in there. I love hitting. So it's one yeah. of those things where when I get back into it um, – it's kind of a fun time of year where I can experiment and just um do some things before before I start to really lock it in. I'll start to um I'll will hit you know, I'll, I'll mess around a little bit, you know, a couple times a week a little bit before Thanksgiving. Um after Christmas, I'll start ramping up and then yeah, I mean, having this cage is great. I mean, I literally if I feel like I'm behind, I can go in there and hit for 3 hours or if I just wanted to get a couple swings, I could hit for 10 15 minutes off the machine and feel good about it so it really makes it easy for me really lucky to have that but um i've I've heard a whole wide variety of different you know some guys don't do a whole lot and mm-hmm. come right into spring training and um, other guys are, are hitting every single day so it yeah it's, it's it's you can there's all sorts of different uh philosophies on that for sure so you gotta figure out what works well for you. Are you a guy that likes to see
1: like live stuff before you ever get to spring training? Like will you will you do or will you speed the game up? Will you, you know, see, you know, really, really hard fastballs from up close? Will you will you see breaking balls in the offseason? Or are you a guy that you know likes to have kind of like this steady linear progression where it all builds to spring training?
0: Yeah, I mean I like I like kind of getting thrown in the fire a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um I guess as far as facing other pitchers, probably not because yep. I don't like when I'm facing a pitcher. I I really like it to be Mm game-like. I want them to be trying to get me out. I don't want them to be working on six different curveballs and yeah, you know they haven't thrown a a strike in eight pitches and they're still bouncing curveballs. Like I don't really enjoy that. Um, I don't think it's very realistic. But as Mm -hmm. far as as far as seeing stuff off the machine and curveballs, absolutely. I'm making all sorts of swing changes and I'm only doing it against flips. Is kind of not really a good feel for me of, yep. of you know is this something that i should be keep, keeping going forward with or is this something i should scrap i really like to see how that is off of you know some velocity coming at me um, um so yeah for sure i love doing that absolutely
1: so we're, we're gonna shift gears a little bit um you know the thing that i i've kind of always known you for and i'm not sure other people know it as well as like being an offensive, out- outstanding defensive outfielder um you want to go glove in 2015 and it's interesting i was actually uh, playing around on fan graphs as i was prepping for the, uh, the interview here. And, um, you know, certainly you have like defensive metrics like DRS and UZR and all these different things that, um, in some cases don't value high, but, uh, value as high, but, um, there was actually an inside edge fielding, um, metric that is now up on fan graphs, which takes into account all the cash probabilities. So, you know, zero to 10% cash probability, 90 to a hundred. And they categorize people based on the percentages that, that they make, and among Major League Baseball outfielders between 2012 and 2018, you made eight errors in 4,930 innings and 12, 1,275 put-outs. You were actually ranked as the, the best defensive outfielder over that, that 2012 to 2018 block. So, you know, I, I'm far from an expert in statistical measures on the defensive side, and I think some of them view those as very questionable and vague and hard to really appreciate, but effectively what that tells me is you you make the plays that you're supposed to make. Um, would 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 that be a good, uh, summation of your abilities?
0: <laughs> yeah, we talk. I mean, I like, yeah. I'm, feel like I'm kind of boring out there. I just, I just make the routine plays and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's what I try to do. I try to just, just get to the ball as quick as possible and then get it to my guys in the infield as quick as possible. So, and that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I've had success with that. Um, I'm a little irritated because I've had a couple of balls I have not had good reads on this far so far this year, and it literally is still eating me up. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: uh, and don't get me wrong, yeah. you've had a lot of web gems over the years. Like you, you're a consistent like sports center top ten guy. There's there's no surprise there, but um, it's just interesting that you know sometimes you
0: undervalue when when things aren't you know super showy. Um, so I think what, when you make make plays like you, for me, it's like I'm always trying to get the right the right steps, the right routes. And most of the time when you do that, it's a boring catch. You know, it looks good. It it looks smooth, but it's a boring catch. And then you'll have the in-betweeners where you're, it's a decision. You know, this is kind of like a, you know, a 50% chance if I dive here and then it's going in your head. Is it worth it? You know, is if you dive here and you make the catch, it's great. But is is the negative. You know, if, if he gets by me and it, him getting an extra base, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the outfield, it's definitely a decision. It's not like the infield where you just lay out and no big deal. It's by you and you get dusted off and you get back up. The outfield's the tough, it's kind of calculated and um, you got to, you know, those web gems are great. And sometimes I'm like, yikes, I can't believe you even dope for that because <laughs> the ne- the downside of it was so great that maybe him just giving up a double there isn't, or a single isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. So, It is a little difficult, but uh, maybe I am a little little too analytical about that, and maybe it's should gonna go for those showtime plays a little more. But (laughs) I don't know. Hey,
1: you get paid for doubles and home runs now. Nobody, nobody, they want (laughs) they want want Bryce Harper to hit singles, you know. So there you go. (laughs) um, So let's talk. You know, building on that, let's talk about defensive preparation. To me, you know, there's a lot more than meets the eye. Um, You know, so. And I watched Sam Full do it you know for years during his career while he was with us in person. And I know you take a lot of pride in it too what what goes into being a good you know defensive outfielder in the big leagues
0: you know and i I'm sure it's incredibly multifactorial I guess just the number one thing and it's not even very specific it's kind of more emotional is that uh you know you have to really like you said you have to take pride in it you have to m- know that this is a priority and um it's got to excite you when you're out there you know, just you know i'm gonna i'm gonna catch every ball you know just in your head just having that emotion i think just having that um i'll be a pretty good outfielder just having that mentality but if i'm all of a sudden you know thinking about a bat or i'm thinking about something else or i'm just kind of going through the motions a little about there it, it really affects your jumps so for mm-hmm. that that's so crucial. And if, if that's your mindset, you know, you're going to take it seriously in batting practice. You're going to be paying attention to what the ball's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think there's, you can get fallen in the trap of, um, just thinking that the game is just about offense. And I think maybe five years ago, no one, you could really, really, uh, just kind of hide out there in the outfield and just, and if you were raking, nobody really cared, but not anymore. Everyone's really paying attention to what kind of, you know, what kind of outfielder or what kind of infielder certain players are. So I think think it's a good time to be a a defensive player in this game or a well-rounded player in this game, and um, they reward those guys for sure. Are you a guy that is out there, you know, aggressively
1: during BP trying to, like – practice, 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 take reads, or is it something like you do it a lot in spring training and then not as much during the season because you want to save, you know, just and you stand around for a long time work, working as a Major League Baseball outfielder. So where do you get your reps and, and how does that change, you know, from the, you know, college, minor league days? Like what, what got you to this point?
0: Yeah, I mean, I used to take a lot more reps out there. Right now, I pay attention as much as I can out there. I'm watching the ball flight and everything, but I don't know if I'm necessarily running after certain balls. Um, you know, if anything, I just take one step. I don't even really need to chase after it. I'll kind of know right away if we'll have a good route or not, mm-hmm. but you know, you get older and you know, if you've, um, if you play the game long enough, you'll have a couple nicks. Um, and I've, you know, I've had a little a tweak of a groin or whatever. Mm-hmm. So getting super hot, um, yeah. six hours before a game, um, it's all factors into the equation. Um, so, no, I don't take a million reps out there. Um, you know, I I try to pay attention to two if I've been if, if I've been having enough practice in the game. You know, like if I've been yeah. chasing balls down left and right, or hey, I haven't gotten a ball in a week or two. Let me go ahead and take a couple more reps out there uh, for Absolutely. sure. So that all factors in.
1: And is it is it stadium to stadium too? That's one I you know you always I've heard stories about. Um... You know, like one pitcher in particular, I know who is like, I hate pitching in Oakland. It feels like home plate is miles away because there's so much space behind, like the catcher to the backstop. Does it feel the same way? You know, when you go to, I mean, obviously you played at, you know, you played at Fenway, which is like that unique triangle in center field. You know, you've played in in places that are huge and places that are a little bit smaller. Um, do you notice a big difference when you go park to park?
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, you got to be comfortable out there. That's for sure. If you're comfortable, you're definitely going to be able to take that extra step or two near a wall and and reach out and make a play. But, um, no doubt, um, it definitely changes, uh, you know, for a stadium. I mean, you go to Wrigley field and, um, you know, it's a brick wall you're running into (laughs) now. Yeah. So like, you know, you got to know the park live. And I actually had one this year where, um, it was a tough play and it was, you know, I'm the one that it didn't even look like I miss, you know, I missed the ball, but I know that, Um, you know, there was a little bit of a hesitation because I'm running full speed and and the wind was a little strange and and I just didn't quite get it because I thought I was going to die running into a wall. Um, you know, one of those things. So you really, uh, it's a unique sport where it's, you know, the outfields are all different and, um, you know, being out there and just kind of watching and observing and yeah, running around a little bit here and there just to kind of being familiar with your surrounding area is huge. Absolutely. All right. So shifting gears a little bit
1: as well. So, you know, you at, at times like in your career, like I think uh, last year, you had a 367 on base percentage, right? So you're still technically failing 63% of the time over the course of your career. And there are a lot of guys in baseball who just, who can't do that. You know, like they, they really, really struggle with any failure, let alone a, failure, a sport where you fail more than half the time. And literally you're like one of the most like upbeat, positive, always smiling people. I know and, you know, like, what is it that'll, do you think that's a huge part of your success? I, I know that's a, it sounds like a, a fluffed up question, but, um, how have you learned to, to manage, you know, dealing with failure, not just in context of what the everyday failure, but, you know, having injuries that are, you know, are largely outside your control with the elbow over the years. Um, you know, how, how do you deal with those? Are you guys big on the sports psychology front? Um, is just how you're wired and that's how
0: you've always been. How has it changed? You know what? Um, I, I guess I, uh, I'm definitely not a positive person, it like naturally. It's something I have to work on because I, I guess when I'm at the field and I'm getting out and uh you know you're struggling, it's so it's so hard. Like anyone in baseball that says it's not is gonna is line your face. Yeah. Um it's so difficult. But you know, I'm always I've always been a team guy, you know, I'm always the guy that's uh you know, if we're winning, it's all good and mm-hmm. um you know, it is, that's the difficult part. And that's the part that is, is a work in progress. And some years I'm better at it and some years I'm not. Um, but it is incredibly difficult in this game is it, if you're hitting 400, you know, that guy wants to hit 500. If you're hitting yeah. 200, wants to hit 300. It's never ends. Um, so I'm definitely into the sports psychology. I think there's a huge role for it. And I think there's yeah. a, you know, understanding what's going on, understanding, um, you know the anxiety or if you got you know your heart rate goes up and yeah. just understanding how to control that and harness kind of your your emotions because um yeah i mean if you're not getting emotional in this game especially with how much work you put in I mean, i'm putting hours and hours and hours of yeah. work in this game and everyone is you know and to go out there and to not have you know really contribute to There's in baseball you can put in all that work and for a week not really contribute positively statistically to your team. You know, that's like that's insanity. You know, (laughs) it'll drive a human nuts. Well, it's um,
1: true too because it's tr- it's, tr- it's changed. They've they've been able to evaluate that. Obviously, you see like pitchers with the difference between ERA and FIP, where you can throw the ball really well and give up a couple of blue hits, and you know it inflates your numbers even through you threw well. Like we're seeing that a little bit more, like quality at bats for for hitters and right. you know exit velocity. We can be like, all right, you hit the ball one hundred ten miles an hour, it just happen to go right at somebody, so you can feel exactly. a little bit better about it. Um, yep. So it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. So give me a feel. Are you a visualization guy? Like, do you do stuff pre-game, pre at bats? You mentioned the virtual reality oh, yeah. stuff. What's, what's your, uh, your daily routine in that, in, in terms of mental health?
0: Yeah. I mean, I love training the eyes. We have a neuroscience, um, little app. Um, it's got these little different things. Actually, I think the guy's out of Boston. Um, but, um, you know, I, I love kind of training the eyes, training the mind. Um, yeah, the virtual reality stuff. There's just a lot of, resources out there especially when you get to the big league level that i i utilize all of them for sure um and uh, visualization absolutely i mean a lot of times you're you know there's so much negative uh results that are going on that's to have some kind of positive feeling and just kind of visualizing uh you know the perfect swing and Mm -hmm. you know it it definitely helps you in the long run for sure and that's what you're really going for here because if it's you know, you're, you're, like you said, like you're hitting the ball well and you're not getting any results. Well, as a hitter, if you take that for 600 at bats uh, and you just know, you just have to trust it. You know, as a pitcher, you just keep throwing through it. And as a hitter, you just keep swinging through it because you just trust that, you know, in the long term, it all works out. And um, and yeah, there's just there's just a lot of little routines like like you were just talking about that can kind of help you with
1: that. Absolutely. All right. So we've got two, two good questions for people that, that commented on Instagram that I, I, I plucked from the bunch that will ask you. Um, and I actually, I like this one a lot. How interested are your parents in baseball? Were they really involved when you played as a youngster?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes, for sure. Um, no doubt. My, you know, my dad coached some teams when I was growing up. Um, you know, he was a rugby player and played a little football, but, um, He knew, I think we just knew that I was going to be, you know, baseball is probably going to be my, the sport that I can kind of do some stuff with. And, and he's always been involved. My mom always is, you know, she was always taking me to games, always bringing me, um, you know, being, being the big support for me. So Mm -hmm. they've always been involved. When I got to the big leagues, uh, you know, it was really cool kind of just making your first, your first game there and and seeing your parents in the stands and just kind of knowing the emotions that they have, because they went through exactly what you went through, um, you know, just from a different perspective. But, um, yeah, they were, they were huge. They still are super, uh, super into baseball. They follow the team, they follow, uh, you know, everything that's going on and, um, yeah, for sure. And I think that also kind of, there's a point in baseball too, where it's, there's those barriers too you set up with, with family too, you know, where it becomes instead of it being just a little too much, it now becomes healthy where they're, you know, they're letting you live your life. You're playing 162. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about, you know, the failures of it, you know, now having parents kind of dealing with the failures of it from 162 yeah. from a, from a different perspective, that's a whole, that's something that parents have to learn as well. You know, and I think my parents have done a really good job over the years of kind of growing with that and turning into a, um, their mindset is is the long term now too, as opposed to living and dying by every pitch like they yeah. used to. Absolutely. So they were supportive, but not overbearing is, is, is a good way to describe it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And above all else, your dad made you a New England Patriots fan. That's, of course, he took me to the games.
0: It's the, <laughs> that's, that's really where that's, this all starts. It's impor-
1: important parenting wisdom. That's all that matters. <laughs> you got to watch the right people out there and the right teams. You know, if you want to be. Absolutely, yeah. And you're you're old enough to appreciate when the Patriots weren't good. You're not just like a farewell fairweather fan that was born in like 1999. Like you were you were <laughs> around for a, a lot of miserable years.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, uh, we had a couple a couple bad ones back in the day, but I don't really remember those anymore. Yeah, it's it's uh, too long ago.
1: Selective retention is good. <laughs> All right. So, second question: What's the most important baseball advice you've ever been given? Yikes! Wow.
0: Most important baseball advice, man, you know, it's always hard for me when it's the most or the, weather, yeah. cause I've had some really good advice over the years. Um, you can pick any, you can give two if you want. Pick two. Okay. Um, can I, can I come back to that one? Yeah, we can come back to it. And you- I mean, the broad ones are tough, Like Yeah. That's-
1: That's a, that's a, that's a good feather in this guy's hat. He just, uh, (laughs) he just stumped you. That's, uh, that's Greg Manuelson. So, Greg, good job. All right. I mean, all good. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go, we actually do like a lightning round on the tail end. You, I know you've listened to some of these podcasts. You've probably heard some of this. So what advice would you give to a teenage AJ Pollock? (sighs)
0: What advice I would, I would just, um, just trust, just trust in everything you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Gosh.
1: That's good advice. <laughs> in of itself.
0: What all right? Yeah, what, don't waver from it. You know, yeah. if it's not the right, if it's not perfect, you know, being a perfectionist in baseball just does not work. You know, you just the hard work, there's really no secret, I think. And that can I combine this one with the last question? Yeah, do it. All right. I just think there's no there's no secret recipe. You know, yeah. everyone's trying to look for the number one thing. And it's it's not, it's it's hard work, you know, and it's it literally is hours and hours and hours of of repetition and, and kind of going to the right, um, you know, not going to the right, but like just com- showing up every single day, um, you know, working out, um, just putting in hours. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely, um, I think parents always are looking for the secret recipe for their kid and it's just not, it's not out there. That's awesome. All right.
1: Uh, I know you're like a student of the game. You're, you a guy that reads a lot and, you know, follows a lot of stuff on, on the internet in terms of, you know everything imaginable, developmental wise. You guys eat healthy. The whole nine yards. What's something that you think that every young hitter should read or watch? You know, like the pitchers always tell us. You know, they read Harvey Dorfman's book. You know, the mental ABCs of pitching. What, what What's something that was impactful for you? Whether it's on, you know, the hitting side, the sports psych, the sports science side of things. What What's What's been beneficial that you've consumed over the years?
0: Man, I've gone. I've read CrossFit books. I've read uh, hitting books. Ted Williams his book I've read uh I've read it so much and honestly all of it kind of feel like just just helps you know just if you're talking looking at from uh different sports it's all the same language just kind of you know different different accent or it's just it's all similar I, I guess I guess for me Ted the Ted Williams book really got me thinking outside the box mm-hmm. um and um you know that kind of started a a train for me I didn't there's some stuff that I, I I use, and there's some stuff that I was like, yeah, it doesn't work for me. But mm-hmm. the fact that he was that out of the outside the box was really eye opening to me. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, so
1: I in in that vein, um, what hitters do you like to watch and why? You mentioned Votto earlier. Who are the ones that you see? Um, you know, you go out of your way to watch to, to kind of pick up stuff.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I guess for me, I'm always watching the guys that are really analytical and thinking it through because i'm always wondering what they are actually thinking mm-hmm. um you know there's some guys you watch and it's it's really impressive but it's like okay he's just he's, he's like fr- there's nothing there's nothing going through the head there he's a, just he's good. he's a freak <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know and sometimes when i watch those guys it's fun too because now i'm just kind of watching just how how they approach it you know how what's their their body language what's like that kind of stuff, but I don't really think about what they're thinking because I yeah. know they're probably not thinking. So it's a kind of that fine line that you have to balance between thinking and, and too much going on too much thinking, but yeah, Vado's a fun guy for me to watch. Obviously Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, I've played with him for so long, so it's fun for me because I know exactly what's going on there. I know kind of pretty much, I know most of what he's thinking. So now I'm watching his at bat. It almost feels like I'm hitting, you know, because it's just, it's, it's it's definitely a um you know we've had so many baseball conversations and hitting conversations that Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's kind of a fun bat to watch but all my you know all my guys over in Arizona same thing so yeah absolutely all right uh favorite teammate of all time and why man well I've played with Paul for gosh over almost a decade so I'm gonna go with him and He's just a complete package for me, just a great human being um he's actually gonna be right near you, working yeah, out there
1: yeah actually is. I, my business partner, Shane, did some massage therapy for the Cardinals, and he said he's one of the most wonderful human beings he's ever met,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's awesome, um yeah. just great teammate um yeah, and all this stuff we're talking about i mean we i've these are great stuff we we talk about this stuff all the time. he's just always into learning and um he's never trying to be a one-dimensional kind of player or person. He's always trying to grow. So, um, been fun playing with him for sure. That's awesome. The last 10 years. All right. And I think this one is the one that I like
1: the most. This will be the last question. You're off the hook. So, um, you know, you've, you've played in different parts of the country. You've been a Midwest guy in college. You've been a Northeast guy in high school. Um, obviously you played in both Arizona and in, in Los Angeles. Um, you know, you spent some time, I think with team USA back in the day, you've played in the Cape league. Um, you know, you've, you've been with many different minor league affiliates on your way up. Um, I'm always curious, what are, what are some of the qualities of the best coaches you've interacted with? You know what, What's been impactful for you on your development, and what's been not so good? What is, what's interfered with your development and those you've interacted with?
0: Great question again. Um, the best coaches, for sure, are the ones that are easy to approach, relatable. Um, they communicate really well, um, and it seems natural, too. It's not like some structured, hey, come to the office and we're going to talk about. It. It's it's literally just having a conversation always and constantly and and um, and pushing me too. I'm trying to think of i thinking of certain coaches who uh, I've had. I, a lot of my favorite coaches I've had run ins yeah. with. You know, we've had times where we've actually got into it with each other because we're always communicating. Yeah. It's never like we we didn't go dark for you know, a couple of weeks, we've, we were always communicating. And then, you know, when we, then the one of us is apologizing to the other and we're hugging <laughs> it out. It's kind of a, you know, I've had those types coaches and those are the ones that I'm, you know, I, I, I text them all the time and, and, and kind of talking about, you know, asking how they're doing or if something's going on in my life. They're, they're reaching out to me. So um I just think that whole relationship, you know, you got to spend time, you got to put in the effort, you got to put in a lot, a lot of work. You can't just kind of, have a casual conversation and then you're not talking for a while. So that, that was the, um, those are the coaches to me that have always, uh, had a big impact. And then there's a lot of trust that you gain, um, you know, when you're putting in that much work with each other and, 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 all those conversations that, you know, if there's something that's serious going on or, or something he wants to bring up to you, um, it's not a big deal. It's, you know, you've already kind of, you've already kind of had a good, uh, good dialogue for a long time. Absolutely.
1: What about the ones that aren't so great? Obviously the opposite of that, the people who are, uh, you know, not open-minded and not easy to approach. Um, you know, what are the other things that you see in people who have, who have made it hard for you?
0: Yeah. Like you said, for me, it's in baseball, you're, when you're, when you're around coaches, I mean, you play 162 games. So when you're trying to control a locker room, you're trying to get, um, you know, have a locker room kind of on the same beat. Um, you know, the ones where you're always trying to think, you know, what, what is he, what did he mean by that one comment or what, you know, like, what's he thinking right now? We haven't heard anything, you know, like a guy who is just super genuine, um, and, and doesn't, is not afraid to say, say something, Absolutely. you know, and, and, and it never, never kind of goes quiet. You know, it's more just, it's more, just more or less having another teammate, mm-hmm. you know, obviously he's in a different role, but Um, yeah, I think that's the kind of I've had, I've had some of those and it is difficult. Some of them, they don't even mean anything by it. You know, it's not a harmful thing. They're just kind of overthinking it. And and it's, it's tough to kind of, uh, it's tough to get the, I'm trying to think of what, uh, what the word is. I, you know, have all the players, um, you want everyone to be comfortable around each other and everyone to be, you know, there's all sorts of different characters and you want everyone to be themselves. And yeah, it's hard when you have the guy that's running the whole show not being himself. That's a great way to put it. Open. Yeah, I like it. Um, all right, so this so, was absolutely
1: awesome, man. I I appreciate you taking the time. Um, folks can find you on Instagram. It's at AJ Pollock underscore. If they want to hopefully not heckle you on social media, but support you in all your efforts. <laughs> um, but uh, we really appreciate you taking the time, man. This is excellent.
0: No, thanks for having me. You're the man, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, for sure. All right, take care. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions. For future guests and questions, just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.